I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Damika Brown. And we are biracial unicorns. And if you were mad about a female Doctor Who, shh, don't look now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I am so excited for uh, Shurigatwa. Like, I love, love him. I don't know. Have you watched Sex Education? Only in bits and bobs. And the, the thing is, it's one of those shows where I tell people, oh, I've only seen a few episodes here and there. And people are like, oh, my gosh, you have to watch it. You have to finish watching it. You need to sit down and watch it. And let me tell you, girl, for three days straight, this is all all you heard about. And the buzz is infectious. It's so thrilling to see people, for the most part, so excited for this for the switch yeah yeah for those of you who are completely lost already one minute into the show uh i'm a huge doctor who fan well i'm a moderate doctor who fan and uh there has been a very like unclimactic sort of (laughs) announcement about the next doctor i think they were trying to cut off it being like leaked to the press that's the sense that i got rather than having like a big ado about it uh, and so the next doctor the next iteration of the doctor will be played by shuri gatwa who is rwandan scottish actor uh, uh, perhaps best known for his role in sex education i will say when i found out from my husband who found out before i did because I was not on the internet when the news <laughs> leaked or, or was released. And we were both really excited because he's our favorite part of that show. And my husband was like, but he's so young. And it's like, no, he only plays a 17-year-old on TV. He's not actually that young. Um, but he he will be the the second youngest doctor after Matt Smith and the first actor to play the doctor who is now officially younger than me. So that's, that's something that makes me feel old. (laughs) I was going to say, I I had the same thought of, I know he plays younger, but let me tell you when black doesn't crack, this is ridiculous. Like what is your, your, your routine i like i'm fully aware that people do play people much younger than them but in in saint do you know how old he is yeah he's 29 he'll be 30 later this year girl i need to to step up my moisture game in insane <laughs> but you're so second who was the first yeah or how old was the youngest doctor it was matt smith he was the youngest doctor i want to say he was like 26 when he started as the doctor, which is also an interesting (laughs) I'm sorry, I could talk about Doctor Who all day, but uh, it it was an interesting choice because his portrayal of the doctor in many ways felt like the oldest doctor of New Who. He was like very old in his heart, even though he was such a young actor. Um, But yeah, Matt Smith is maybe three years older than us. So he he's older now, but when he started the role, he was younger than Shooty. It feels like a revival. And it's, it's so funny that like for my friends who are like who stands, I'm like, I'm excited for them. It feels like you said the last couple of doctors, it, it seems a bit like a struggle and some fans kind of got left beside, you know, everyone has their doctor. Even I know that everyone has ones that they tend to lean to, but it feels like they're giving this really a huge jolt to freshness. And that's exciting. I love when people get to love their escapism, love their fandom unabashed. And it feels like it's getting love and hopefully even like a new generation too, because you get to share that across the board. So yay, I support, support, support your doctors. Enjoy, y'all. Enjoy it. I will be watching from the sidelines as someone who is completely and utterly lost. (laughs) Yes. Um, And while we started in a completely (laughs) different place, uh, talking about the Rwandan Scottish new doctor, we're going to do a bit of a, dare I say, pivot. Hate the word pivot. Um, (laughs) And talk about our lovely AAPI folks. And 
focusing on AAPI Heritage Month today. Yes, I am stoked for AAPI Month. Uh, Danny and I talked back and forth of what we want to share, what we want to do for the episode. I have to kind of just state that Danny and I have not been very shy about how we feel of kind of dedicating one singular totally. month for the celebration, the education, the recognition of a particular ethnic or racial group, like not our jam, but the reality is, and I, I, I hope you all have been out there feeling it too. It seems to be becoming increasingly more difficult to have open conversations about race in the academic setting, in a work setting, even in social media, there's just met with a lot of a pushback, the banning mm -hmm. of CRT being banned. So I feel very much like it is our responsibility to use our space, to use this space for our unicorns that identify as AAPI have that highlight because it's important when you cannot do it naturally in places where it should be done, which is recognized throughout the year. We have to take these opportunities where, where we can, where hopefully uh, organizations are taking that time to create events and put out information and substance and material that highlights this community. So that's what we want to take out this time today. Not that we shouldn't be recognizing it and learning it throughout the year, but we want to put a specific spotlight on this because this is our space and this is what we want to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, I think as with with all these weird little container of heritage and culture months or weeks in some cases, I think I would like to be a person who celebrates all people like all the time. Like I think um, to me, not to get all like the U S is a melting pot, but I do think that part of the beauty of living in a diverse country in a diverse place is being able to celebrate all the cultures that come together to make it uniquely that. And so for me, I, I have a lot of influence within my own history and my own existence as a human that has come to me through the AAPI community. So I feel like it's important to have that space and important to bring it to, to the forefront for discussion. Yeah. So before we kind of want to dive into what we're reading, what we're eating, how we're enjoying, how we're celebrating, I think it's really important within this time frame that on top of enjoying another culture to fully appreciate it, I think you also need to understand the the struggles that is going on within that particular community as well. And before you run out and support your local, you know, Asian Pacific Islander restaurant, right? Which, there's nothing wrong with that. I think you also taking a moment to seeing what's going on that's impacting their communities and seeing how you can further educate yourself on that and educate those around you. I think that is something very important to trying to build empathy with another people group outside of your own. So we kind of just want to get into a little bit of some of the issues that are arising within the AAPI community, something that I'm continuously learning and growing in and educating myself on as well. So by all means, not an expert, but this is part of doing the work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I would say even before we get into that, if people are looking for, and I've talked about this book on the show before, but I feel like it's important to bring it up here again. If you feel like there's a, a lack in your history knowledge of surrounding Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the U.S., I highly, highly recommend Erica Lee's book, The Making of Asian America. It's just like a really great primer and a good first first stop in understanding the complexities of the Asian American history and experience in the U.S. 
that's actually a really great uh, suggestion, Danny. I really appreciate that. Um, well, I guess something that we we touched on, and I'm going to do my best not to get emo- <laughs> emotional talking about it again. So, has it been a year already, Danny, where we did our stop AAPI hate? Has it been I a think year? so. Yeah, I, I think, think it's it has just been. been a year. Yeah. I think definitely one of the most raw episodes we've had in regards to stopping AAPI hate. And I thought maybe just take a little bit more time to discuss the amount of violence that is done and has been. I don't I don't want to put it in any idea that this is something new whatsoever that is done towards Asian women. Uh, why are they targeted so heavily when it comes to violent crimes and what are we doing going forward with this knowledge? Mm, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think it's it's a persistent. It's a persistent struggle AAPI folks have had in this country, and it has changed a lot over time. Right, just to to kind of set up the historical markers. I think there was another time where there was a lot of violence towards Asian Americans. And that ended up being indicative of larger governmental movements, including the the things that led to the Chinese Exclusion Act and so on. And of course, you know, we 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 can see the history, but I think the recent uptick has been in large part around the pandemic and the treatment of COVID as the Chinese flu and the the things that it was called early on by the then president. So I think it kind of set this tone in the country. There was a a survey that was done early on across the country where uh, I believe it was close to 20% of Asian Americans said that they had been deliberately coughed or spat on. And I think, you know, another quarter who said that they were experiencing workplace discrimination and as much as 14% who said that they had been barred from different establishments like stores and what have you. So I think for many people, they may not have been aware of a lot of this discriminatory acts that were happening in these violent acts. So I think all of that started early on in the pandemic, and we kind of saw a heightening to where elders in the community were being killed, were being assaulted. And it's all it's all very scary to think that that's the world we live in. But I think for many of us, where we've been very aware of that. But I think it was that the irony of like that happening, and then there were these protests, Black Lives Matter, and all of this, and and just seeing kind of the the way that things are being portrayed or not portrayed in the media. Yes. Uh... The, the horrific violence done to specifically elders during the pandemic w- was one of those things where I saw our country being at a different kind of low to where, once again, nothing new because we have seen throughout history of the violence and the discrimination um, post-Vietnam War and where it was it's never been hidden in our country. And that's what blows my mind as far as this particular kind of racism and segregation of we have staunch evidence of the hatred. Um, A lot of the reason why we have places like Chinatowns within cities is because of them having to group together to create jobs within their city because they have been excluded and pushed out. And seeing this kind of violence happen, and I feel well, we talked about this that the the stop API hate fizzled so quickly. You know, yeah. I it I'm never shocked when a movement dwindles or you don't see mm-hmm. nearly as much coverage. But there was something particular about this one that kind of struck very hot, and the movement seemed to be getting a lot of momentum and attention, and it. Fizzled incredibly quickly, and I I don't know I don't know why Danny I don't know if it's just sheer the numbers of the populace within 
America that is technically Asian or Pacific Islander. I don't know if there's still this stereotype of people thinking Asian people as being passive, like, oh, this will pass. You know, they're the model citizens, right? They'll they'll know their place. I still have not been able to reconcile that that reasoning of why there seems to be like a lagging of support for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the pushback I would have is that it isn't that the stop AAPI hate movement has fizzled out. I think it's larger, and this is what you were getting at, but just to name it explicitly, uh, larger support outside of those communities has fizzled. It was like very, very quick, quick lived support, it seemed like, in communities outside. And so, yeah, I think there there are a lot of things at play there. There's you know, there's also, I think, the model minority myth um, feeds into that of like, well, these people are essentially white. They're fine, you know, like, and so I think that attitude is part of it. But I I do see there are a variety of kind of on the ground sort of grassroots organizations that have uh, popped up in large Asian population areas, Asian American population areas. A big one that I found that I thought was really cool uh, is Compassion in Oakland. And they literally provide free chaperone support to Asian American elders who might feel unsafe. Like, I think, you know, it's, it's a sad state of affairs where something like that has to exist. But I think mm-hmm. that the fact that communities are willing to rally and support each other is, is something important to, to talk about and highlight. Yeah. But no, I think, I think you're right. I think that there's, there's several factors at play. One of them is the population is is a lower percentage minority population within the the country and i think in many ways asian americans along with native americans actually are kind of the the minorities that get forgotten that get kind of written off uh you know, there's there's often the talk about like this binary when we're talking about race of black and white and yes. uh, rather than recognizing the vastness of human experience that can exist within these racial divides. Mm. I, I don't know if this is going to be divisive or not, but I just w- wanted even your take within that of talking about these with it a minority amongst minority groups mm. when talking about things like Black Lives Matter and the resources and the sheer number. There seems to be this. Why won't we help? So within Black Lives Matter, there was this we didn't necessarily see a lot of our Asian brothers and sisters within here. And now they want our support for Stop AAPI Hate. And there seems to be kind of this underlining tension between different minority groups that of like, I see you, I see your issue, but our resources are also limited to, our people are also limited to. And I'm seeing that within the communities of, like you said, we have the binary of black and white, but within black, seeing how else we can support our other minority brothers and sisters that have smaller numbers, but also feeling very much of, do we feel supported? Is there support? Is there equal work? I mean, we see something very similar within women of color and women, right? Of like, well, Mm -hmm. where were you for us? Well, now we need you. Why won't you help? And kind of this back and forward of living within this 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 world where a lot of people, especially who are intersectional, let's not even get into people who are mixed whatsoever, where they play into this. But is is that tension real? Is this something that is kind of not not made up? But are we playing into this idea that we cannot get along like the different minority groups? Is this something that I guess in my mind I'm asking? How do people who are already working so hard for their own particular marginalized group also have the energy to come alongside and support other minority groups? Because it's it's necessary. But how how do we even do that? Yeah, I I think that that's. That's a good question. And I think that there is a certain amount of pitting us against each other that helps keep 
the status quo, the powers that be in control. And I, I do think the lack of resources is real, but I also think there needs to be a shift of attitude into recognizing that our liberation is tied up in the liberation of all. It's not a, just about liberation for one particular group, but rather a liberation of all. And I think it's also it's also difficult because I think we have these people of color or BIPOC. We have these big sort of monolith mm-hmm. titles that kind of set us apart from like the white majority. Even like recent terms like GEM, I don't know if you're familiar with that, global ethnic minority or majorities, global ethnic majority. That is vague. Yeah, but I think that's that's pretty much everyone who's not white um, is a global ethnic majority. Um, okay. Yeah, but I, I think the problem with those terms is it's it's flattening to a certain degree and just defining us as part of this binary white and everyone else and i think that also feeds into that feeling of like well we're all sharing this piece of the pie so i'm going to fight for where i exist in that pie mm. and even if it's a bigger bigger hunk than like you know asian americans who are a smaller percentage of the population it's like well that's how it has to be, you know. Uh, so I think it is something that needs to be a shifting of attitude. Um, I also believe that that part of this that has led to this specific AAPI hate um, is also tied up in that. It's also tied up in the fact that Asian Americans are a smaller percentage of the population. There is a disdain and an exoticizing that Mm -hmm. happens, um, I think, with AAPI and Native American, like these very small groups um, compared to larger, larger groups. I know, oh, I'll have to look it up and find it. I read this beautiful article that was talking about why Asian women are so sexualized that talked a lot about that is like portrayals of Asian women, but also because it's like a smaller group because of all these reasons. And, you know, like you literally can't find an Asian American woman or in my case, someone who presents as Asian American who has not encountered things like random guys asking for a happy ending or like these other, you know, and those are, those are parts of my lived experience or parts of like, you know, being yelled ching chong or being told to go back to your country. The irony for me being like, it's no, historically, (laughs) this was my country Mm -hmm. first. So you go Mm -hmm. back. Well, girl, that's part of the flattening, isn't it? Yeah. That is part of the danger as well. Because I know people who were like, they're not even Chinese. Like I am Taiwanese. I am Japanese. I am Filipino and getting hate slurs about going back to China. But that's part of that flattening, part of making everyone to a monolith. And I just kind of wanted to go back a little bit to the fetidization of Asian women, of that also being very much tied to domestic violence as well. Yeah. What we've had against Asian women of seeing this this spike within not only within the over-sexualization of them, but also within their domestic partnership of them of looking at of being supposed to be agreeable, right? They're mm-hmm. not supposed to, supposed to be very well-mannered and being treated as, for the most part, a sexual object. And we were seeing that idealism carry on into relationships to where they're experiencing a severe spike in domestic violence amongst Asian women. And that is these the harm in microaggressions. That is the harm in the stereotypes of it leading to immense violence within this minority populace. And it's... I, it's it's one of those things where it seems like such a, a vast issue that seems to be so prolific, and and how do you go against it? But I think, especially for me as as a mixed black woman, how do I come in that support? And I think it's continuing that shift that you're talking about, that mind shift of there is enough for everybody to go around. What does it look like to liberate everyone? 
And because I think there's always been this mindset, at least for me, I speak with the black community of if we can get our liberation, if we can do it, then we talked about it. We can make space at the table. We talk about that a lot. Yeah. We'll open the door. Right. When they talk about running your race, making sure you look back to pass the baton per se. But I think what would it look like to change that mind shift of we have to get through first as opposed to bringing everyone up to speed so we can cross that line together? That is a, it, like that kind of even mental picture shift really kind of changes, at least for me, my attitude of what I have to change the last few years of being so driven of like, if we can get people to care about women of color, we can get them to care about everybody. But if I have this idea of liberation for all, what does that look like? I think that Mm -hmm. really, that changes how I use my resources and what I take part in and who I bring with me and what I participate in, what I vote for, it is a really huge shift. And it it does look like a lot more work, but I think the output looks a lot more fruitful and sustainable. Yeah, yeah. To that, to that end, I've been reading about design thinking a lot lately. And uh, while I don't know how I feel about it quite yet, it's actually something that I've been doing for school. I do think there is something to be said about this idea of tackling large systemic problems by kind of just diving in and doing it. And so that's like part of this this design thinking mentality, um, but also recognizing that every attempt to change the system is going to change the system in some way. So like every shot you have is like your one shot and then the system changes and you have to take a different approach. But I think with this idea of no one is free until we're all free or, you know, my liberation is tied up in everyone's liberation, then it helps helps you stay adaptable in a way that like, no, I am just searching, I'm just moving forward for like one group feels very linear. But when you're thinking about a larger, larger group, it's easier to stay adaptable, if that makes sense. No, no, no. I mean, even just like that visual looking ahead, plowing forward, as opposed to looking to your left, checking your peripherals, like who, who is standing by you at the finish line anyway? Because if it's just a lot of people, once again, who just look like you, is that equality? Right. And yeah. And I mean, that 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 is very that's something you have to sit with. That is something you definitely have to sit with. So I this is this is the work. And I don't just say, you know, our allies, our co-conspirators have to do the work too. like, you know, women of color who live especially in so intersectionally. This is part of our inner working as well. So, ooh, girl. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think we could we could easily make this into a full episode. But just to change gears briefly for another aspect of the AAPI experience in this country, I feel like another hot button topic in the news recently is around tourism and Hawaii. I'm I have honestly low key been wanting to talk to you about this for what seems like ages. <laughs> it's it's bizarre. It's like it's one of those things where it's like we talk about so many things. And this has always been on my list of I have to ask like her opinion as someone who went to school in Hawaii and your experience just just there. So I'm sorry. I feel like I am just like protruding you with all of these questions but I just I but like what girl what do you think yeah I mean I think the colonialism fucking colonialist mentality is strong is so strong with Americans and I think before I lived in Hawaii I never I never really thought about it aside from like in the 90s, everyone had like a Hawaii episode. It seemed like that it was like the ideal vacation spot. I knew that pogs came from there, but like I didn't really think much of of it as a place or its history. I don't think I even knew that it was previously the Sandwich Islands. I didn't know anything about it until I moved there, essentially. And... I felt like living there really 
made me think about colonialism a lot more Mm. than I had ever thought about it before in my life. Because I I truly do believe that Hawaii is a colonized space. And I I would be interested in what what a world would look like where Hawaii had its sovereignty back. Mm. But I know that's kind of a controversial topic and probably something that needs a longer discussion. So I think in terms of tourism, you feel the tourism hard when you live there. And it's been 10 years now since I've lived there. Um, And my understanding is it's just become more and more and more and more. And particularly over the pandemic, uh, Mm -hmm. the sense of entitlement that people felt to go to that space during a global pandemic and to continue to go when People from Hawaii were literally saying, do not come here. We do not want you here. And people still went. And I know several people who have gone to Hawaii this year. And I definitely have feelings about it. But can we get into it? You know, it's, (laughs) (laughs) it's, you know, here's the thing. This is full transparency. This is definitely a place where I would absolutely love to go because you want to talk about fighting the fetishizing of something. Like, I think Hawaii is looked at this utopian, otherworldly paradise. You know, it's this gorgeous island, so unlike America, right? Right. At least that's in its portrayal, right? And you cannot be helped but be lured into it. And for someone who has a military family background, of course, you know, there's people being very, very drawn to it there for all military abelia. You know, there's do with that what you will, right? For for tourism, right? And the it, only it, thing it, worse than tourists in Hawaii is the military. I say, <laughs> oh, I mean the. I mean, can we talk about the the whole, like the destroying of the water there? And it's I guess it for me being my family is a military family. You have to own the the hurt that you have caused and what your presence has done there. Like that is the absolute truth. You you have to do that. You have to look at yourself and be like, yep, the military presence there has made life horrific for those who who live there and you have to sit with that and you have to say well, what well, what are you doing because we we have to make recompense for the people of not being able to have uh drinking water in in space right yeah and th- there is this this layer of like i said not only has it been looked at as this tropical getaway but very much like like you said something that we are allowed to have access to but it also needs to cater to us yeah. so i've never seen something that has been has this duplicitous, we want it to be otherworldly and an escape. And we love the beauty and the nature. But everything else that we're doing is counterintuitive to the things that we say we appreciate it to. We talk about the horrificness of the water quality, the amount of pollution, the overcrowding, the the increase of poverty, of the lack of jobs because of, of tourism. It's just one of those things of we are so blatantly too blame for the dis- the destruction of this beautiful island and it's just something we continue to think that we're kind of okay with especially the massive spikes during the pandemic and people having this idealism of well no they need our tourism and i i had such a hard time with this ideal of there being an idea of, well, we have to go. We need to travel because what about the jobs? What about the people? What about the economy? If we don't travel to Hawaii, you know, their economy will go upside down. So we need to go like you are doing a favor by going to Hawaii. You know, it's it is hard because I know there's some people who save up their entire lives, who never leave America, who never have a vacation, who who do that. And that is their dream. And so what do I tell to people who are just like, this is what they want. But it's also very damning and hurting to the people there who are begging people not to go. I mean, that's entitlement and privilege right there. Like, you know, people feel entitled to Hawaii. And it's it's so interesting because a lot of these people who feel that entitlement and like they should be able to go to paradise, as people say, are the same people who are like, do I need a passport to go to Hawaii? And it's like, no, obviously not. Because and you feel like you're entitled to go there. So why are you even asking? It's it's very strange. That said, it is, of course, a beautiful 
magical place, as are most places, to be frank. Like everywhere has their own beautiful, magical aspects. And I think, you know, the weather is so lovely. It's so green and lush and beautiful. Um, The food is delicious, but like that's a lot of places. And I think there are. There are so many places in the world to travel to and to see. And just because economies have shifted to accommodate and take advantage of tourism doesn't mean that that's the end all be all of what they can be. And once again, capitalism destroying the world, you know, but people existed for a long time on those islands without having to rely on tourism. The palace on in Honolulu had electricity and running water before the White House. Like it's not like it's some backwards place that we're saving by visiting. Yeah. <laughs> I just it's so frustrating to me the fact that like people during the global pandemic felt entitled to go and would justify it with the argument of, well, they rely heavily on tourism. I'm doing them a favor favor. Yeah. There is this, at least for me, when I, my research, I look up at the work of Dr. Hananina K. Trusk, of just her work on the Hawaiian sovereignty movement. Her book I read a while ago about uh, colonialism there, it was kind of very much similar to you of, I never thought about the pervasiveness of colonialism and thinking about what it would look like for Hawaii to reclaim itself. And it's one of those things of how much we have deteriorated their 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 quality of life, their food resources, and thinking about that kind of relationship and making us and thinking about I was reading it at the same time I was living in England and thinking about Brexit and what that looks like within our relationship of how we kind of coexist and thinking about it's more of a give and take, but what happens when we enter in a relationship when it's only take, it's only take and thinking about all we have given back to Hawaii is um, horrific pollution and uh, a deconstruction of their, of their culture and for their people. And it was very, sobering to see during the pandemic on social media, TikToks and Instagrams and videos and YouTube of people very, very much pleading of how much they are they are hurting and they're suffering from the virus and being very honest and being very, very candid and having people simply just say, well, the CDC. Well, the CDC said, well, it's okay. Well, I've already had to cancel this, these plans two or three times. Or if I don't go now, when will I be able to? And just having this laissez-faire kind of attitude towards it. And it was it was a different level of of sorrow I kind of had for the hope of people gaining, like I said, like empathy and understanding and having a little bit more of self-sacrifice, which, I mean, during the entirety of the pandemic, I really became dismayed at the lack of self-sacrifice. And I use that very, like, in quotation marks, right, of self-sacrifice for for people during that time. I was I was really disenchanted by that. I don't know what that looks like, you know, moving moving forward, because it doesn't seem like any, anything's going to stop tourism. I, I don't I don't know. I know the only thing similar I can think about, I know Amsterdam had something very similar of talking about the amount of people coming was just horrific on for their people and ruining it for those who live there and making it impossible for people to have a living wage and finding homes and jobs in the areas that they've grown up in. And so they thought about doing like a raffle, basically, to be able to limit the amount of people that can come in for tourism. But I don't I don't I don't ever foresee that happening for some place like Hawaii. Yeah, I don't know. I mean it's like I like I said, just the product of being a colonized state. I think about it a lot in terms of I don't know if you're familiar with um Hawaii's state flag. Uh but anyone who has seen it probably would not guess that it's Hawaii state flag because it literally has a Union Jack on it. I mean, like just the flag itself speaks to how colonized the place is. And I I just felt it so, so much 
exemplified in the treatment of tourism during the pandemic. So, and I think it's an important thing to discuss um, when we're thinking about AAPI because it is the origin of a lot of the PI in AAPI. And because it is a majority Asian American Pacific Islander state because of its location, because of its history. I I will always I will always love Hawaii, but I'm also happy to do it as a di- at a distance if that's what best serves the people there. And I I think that kind of really hits a nail on the head. If you are appreciator of the people more than you are of the experience. And that that's when, like I said, that's all when I remember being very little, being like, I gotta go there. But to me, if I study more about the people, if I study more about the area, if I learn more about the history, then I have to learn of like, at least for now, who says what the future yeah. may hold. But at least, yeah. And that's the thing too. I've been telling people, you must never go there. No. That is far from yeah, what I don't I am think saying. either of us are saying that. Yeah. Yes, it's it's still a beautiful place that should be experienced, but I think you have to take in the totality of what's going on. And once again, that's being informed. And that once again takes work. You have to love the people and the place more than your own experience and really saying, can I love this from afar for right now until it's in a place to where I can go and experience it in a way that is not harmful so that way other people get to experience it as well. And that, I don't think that's a major ask. I, I really don't. I think it takes a little bit of extra work. I think it takes the tiniest little bit of extra planning. And it may be even an opportunity for you to enjoy tourist spots that are also in your local area as well. I, I love that what Danny was talking about. Find the beauty in your area because it's there. It's, it's there. And there are pl- plenty of places that are probably hurting for mm-hmm. tourism that could probably legitimately use, use your dollar dollar bills, y'all. Like, yeah. honestly, honestly, it's not forever. Just be mindful. Right. And to that end, if you are visiting Hawaii, stay in a hotel. Don't get an Airbnb, please. <laughs> like, is mm, the Airbnb game like ridiculous? I mean, it's there? everywhere, right? Like, it's everywhere. But mm. I think in Hawaii, even when I lived there 10 years ago, the amount of places in Waikiki that were either like summer homes, condos owned by people out of state airbnbs it's just it's just insanity and then it drives up the housing market and Mm -hmm. you get into a situation where people can't can't afford to live there people who are from there which is disgusting Mm. so just just some thought about being mindful travelers and consumers of other people's culture, which is something we've said on the show many times, but this is in a really grand scale. So just think think about it for those who are traveling. Yeah. Well, shall we stray away from this gloom and doom and shift into uh, some things we're doing to celebrate AAPI Heritage Month? I'm excited. I, you know me, any excuse to, to celebrate, I'm absolutely there for it. So I, to celebrate many, many ways, of course, you know, girl, I'm always going to go towards food. I mean, that's everyone. We love food. We love food here by racial unicorns. Big, huge fan of food. But also I've been really excited of some of the things I've added to my reading list. And I thought Danny would be so proud of me. Yes. There's one called uh, The Magic Fish. It is a beautiful graphic novel uh, by Tung Lee Nguyen. And it's, I'm just seeing pictures of it. I'm trying to find it in my local library. I might have to just go buy it. But it's about a beautiful Vietnamese immigrant family. So it's actually taken, it's the voice of a teenage boy. And he is first generation in America. And he is trying to come out to his family. But there's this language barrier, right? Because he's not very confident in his Vietnamese, but it all loves fairy tales. And so the story kind of weaves in and out using fairy tales, kind of the darker versions, mm. to 
communicate with his family. And I am so thrilled. I, I've heard nothing but fantastic things. Please check out your local library to see it. If not, maybe just drop a coin, some coins on it. And it might be like a really good solid part of your collection if you're a comic, graphic novel kind of person. I also have something on my list to celebrate the month. It is every year for AAPI month. I think this is maybe the third year or something. The Asian Author Alliance does a series of videos celebrating the whole month on YouTube. Different interviews with different authors, different like specific talks. Like one this month is world building with cultural elements in middle grade fiction, like all these sorts of talks with Asian American and Pacific Islander authors. So love it, here for it. We'll link it in in the notes of their YouTube channel. They only have like 480 subscribers. So maybe I could give them a little biracial unicorns bump. With with giving them the shout out here, oh that would be great. Is that similar to I know this is uh, the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center also does no. Oh, so they also do a really uh, exciting kind of video series as well. And they have things like Breaking the Bamboo Ceiling, We Are Not Stereotypes, video series on what does it look like to interwork with other minority group uh, organizations. And so that is so exciting. We can link both of those into it. And I think we talk about going out and finding your local community. But if you're still not comfortable going out, if you're unable to, like you might live in an area that necessarily doesn't have a massive population of AAPI, but that might be a really great way to participate uh, in virtual events because there has been an uptick in virtual events. And I think it's a great opportunity to take advantage of that for sure. Um, Actually, I wanted to ask you about this. Have you read Crying in H Mart? It seems like a book that you have already read. I don't think so. I don't know. Perhaps. What's it about? So it's by Michelle Zahner. She is Korean. She is also the lead singer of Japanese Breakfast. I did not know that she wrote a book. So I have listened to Japanese Breakfast before. It's like a pop, futuristic, mellow kind of. I don't know how to. It's just like it's like pop and otherworldly sound to it. You know, it's uh, it's not it's one of those things of just like, oh, this is nice. What is this kind of in the background? But she wrote this book. It's called Crying in H Mart. And it's just basically talking about the death of her mother and any review I ever watch, you have to be in a place to prepare to cry and talking about the complexity of her relationship with her mother and her then in turn kind of almost taking onto that role within her own family in that context and having that, you know, that correlation between food and it and as well and her feeling like she is maybe even losing part of her Koreanness as it mm-hmm. has described in one of her, her books. But I... I'm really, really excited to to dive in. I've watched so many interviews about this particular book with the author and just talking about herself of even though it is like a, a memoir, it reads very much into something that so many people can still very much relate to. So I don't know, in my mind, I feel like I'm like, oh, didn't Danny do a review on this? I didn't have time to go back to see it. But yes, Crying in H Mart. Yeah, I don't think I've read it. Sometimes like the fiction all just bleeds together in my mind. (laughs) Um, So I may have. I think I want to shift gears a little bit. I don't know if I will actually watch it this month. I'm kind of waiting for it to be on streaming because I don't really have a desire to go out to the movies. But I've been looking forward to it so much. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I can't wait to watch it. It looks so, so good. And I just love Michelle Yeoh always in everything. I just want, I just, I just want to be her friend. She's amazing. That was definitely on my list. I too am also an elder millennial who's waiting for it to stream. (laughs) I, 
I'm, I'm bated breath. I try not to watch too many things about it, but I can't help it. It looks so visually stunning. The story is this, it's comedic, but yet macabre. It's all the things I love. It's alternate universes. It's, oh, I cannot, cannot wait. I am so absolutely stoked for that. I, I think when we have movies like this, I know also like the immortals came out. What was the other um, crazy rich Asians as well of casts that are predominantly Asian. I, I love seeing it not only just for representation, but once again, we're breaking in through these stereotypes of being able to give a wide range of, of what we think Asian people should look like, should act like, should think like, what their family dynamics look like. It's just so exciting. But I love particularly this kind of genre that's so different outside of what we would place Asian people where we want to put in these little boxes. We we talked about that a little bit with Always Be My Maybe mm-hmm. um, with Ali Wong of talking about having a rom-com that has yeah. Asian people at the forefront of just like, yes, because they, they love and they want to have quirky romance themes too in their life. And it's so exciting to see these, these molds being broken and having these storytelling that's outside of like the white diaspora of, of the, of this world and being centered around it. It is thrilling. And I love that so many people are just like on board of, yes, we want, we want more of this. There's a, there's so much of a demand for it. So hopefully more will be made. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I think that's, that's an exciting development in the world. And we talked about crazy rich Asians when it came out and how important (laughs) for being just like a rom-com like pretty like not not super innovative in the sense that it like pushed boundaries in the story itself but like the fact of it just being allowed to exist as a rom-com yes was so so important i think to the culture and I, you know, it's not really my my jam as far as movies, but I was so excited to see that one too. Yeah. But Michelle Yeoh, man, I just love her. And she's just like, the more I, I learn about her, the more I'm just in awe of, of her career and what she has done. It's It's exciting. I cannot wait. We'll have to like stream it and we'll have to have a chit chat. Maybe we'll do a review of it, like a formal one. Yeah, that would be great. I can't wait to watch it. I've been since the trailer came out. I've been like this this seems like a movie right up my alley and with a very unexpected sort of protagonist, right? You never see an older female immigrant as like the main character of a movie, much less of a sci-fi, much less of a comedy. So, should be a lot of fun. I'd love to hear from anyone who's no I lie. I don't want to hear from anyone who's seen it. <laughs> Not yet. Girl, I was about to say, my don't you open up that floodgate. No one has any self-control out here on these internets. <laughs> oh, should we? I mean, we're so, we're already in such a great mood. Should we switch to happy place? Or you no, have, before like, we do, I would like to do my third thing. Oh, good dear. Oh, I'm so sorry. I lost track. Yeah. So the last thing that I wanted to share is... And this may, it probably will change by the time this releases on Tuesday. But uh, currently, the current Jeopardy champion is an Asian American, Daniel Wynn. And so I am just so stoked for him and hope that he holds out for a little longer. It's been very refreshing seeing his face in the winner's winner's seat. (laughs) How many wins are they at? Mm, I think he's only at two, three. Too, it's it's pretty fresh. It's pretty mm-hmm. fresh. So, not sure if he'll he'll be able to hang till Tuesday, but I hope so. I hope. Well, I mean, a lot can happen between now and then, and hope it's all positive and great. Regardless, that's so exciting. All right, so happy place. Yeah, let's do it.
Mika, what is your happy place? So don't be mad. Oh, no. Right, it'll be it'll be brief. I promise. Brevity. Right. Right. These it's- are my five happy places. This <laughs> How dare you be so jovial, Damika? So also, I am not first and foremost, this is definitely going to it's AAPI Heritage Month. First and foremost, dot always. That's prevalent. But did you also know, apparently, it's like National Cheese Month as well? No, I mean, can't they just call anything anything? Like, my question is, if it's National Cheese Month, what is Big Cheese doing for me this month? Exactly. Yeah. Besides (laughs) making it really hard to fit into my jeans. That's all cheese has done for me. And make my cholesterol a little high. (laughs) But I just, I don't know. Something about that just made me very, very grinny and very happy. But actually... Kendrick Lamar has been my happy place. He had a new song drop, The Heart Part 5. Gosh, it's been a couple of days already. So yeah, I'll definitely have been out for a little tiny bit by the time this comes out. I enjoy the conversation that Kendrick Lamar's art sparks, especially within the community. I think he takes a lens into topics that we need to discuss that are challenging, especially with his last music video. I really highly encourage you all to go watch it, discuss it. Uh, Maybe some other time be able to crack it open. Maybe one more people have been able to watch it. But I, I appreciate the conversations that they spark very, very much so. And I look forward to his album dropping and, you know, he's had a lot to watch and observe, obviously, in the last, gosh, has it been like four or five years since his last album? Yeah, and it's I, been a while. It's been a while. Actually, it was really interesting. I was just talking to my friend maybe last month where I was just like, please don't tell me that he kind of had like this, like this firework moment and then probably just going into like producing or supporting others. Like that's not exactly how I envisioned his his career his artistry kind of ending so i'm so glad to be completely and utterly wrong about that i'm very much looking forward to diving in there uh i think there are people out there who would be worthy of saying that that they are like a fan but to me it's more like like an artist like i am very appreciative of his of his work and being able to listen to it and being a doorway into larger and greater sweeps of topics so yeah very very much a happy place that's nice yeah, yeah. what about you boo um i'm going to go with so this past week i was able to see neil gaiman do a show in denver and it was like the first no, that's a lie. Um, it, it it was one of the first times um, in the past couple years that I've been at like a big indoor event in a theater. And yeah, but it was just so he's so lovely. And I could just listen to him read stories all day. So it was just very nice. I know, I know people have mixed feelings about Neil Gaiman, and I don't want to give like too much time and space to white men on this show, but I do love, I do love his writing, his magical wor- worlds, and his way with words. I really enjoy it. And girl, and that was for you. That was, it was for you. So. <laughs> Yeah, so um, enjoy some cheese and listen to the works of people that you enjoy. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good happy place anytime, anytime. You know, I'm already halfway there. You know, there's cheese chilling for me in the fridge right now, so. <laughs> yeah, yes. I'm trying to think what's on the meal plan for tonight, if we're having anything cheesy. And yes, yes, we are. There will be cheese to be had. Perfect. That's all I can ask for. (laughs) All right. So we would love to hear from you all. What is making you happy? uh, What you're doing to celebrate AAPI Heritage Month? What you would like to hear more of on the show? You can reach out to us via email by racialunicorns at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Biracial Unicorns, and we're on Twitter at Biracial Magic. 
This show doesn't happen without a beautiful community, one of which is going to be Dolly Pop Art, who's done our very iconic biracial unicorns photo. It's cute. You know it. You love it. Go check her out on Instagram. We also want to thank Joseph Scott so much for our intro and outro music, who's also on Instagram. I believe also, I should probably believe he's also on TikTok. I know you crazy kids are on there. Go check out. He's putting out music and just enjoy, right? We also want to thank So Smith Photography for doing some of our very precious in-person photos. She is also on Instagram and also on TikTok. Follow them both for such lovely, lighthearted and artistic content. And since you're already there, just go ahead and leave us a review. That helps us so much. We we don't get paid for this work. It is just the two of us. And that right Right there really helps us get through the machine of the algorithm to get this content into those ears that need the support and need the space and to continue the conversation within our community. Also, if you feel so inclined, a little financial support goes a long way. You can buy us a coffee or just throw whatever you think you can in the in the proverbial plate, as it were. And that just helps keeps the light on for here at Biracial Unicorns. Yes. All right, y'all. We will be back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with perhaps another full episode. <laughs> we we will likely be taking another break as we did last year. So uh, there will at least be part of the episode that is new, but we might be revisiting some something old that we think you'll enjoy. Yeah, so definitely. This will give the the people who don't go back and listen to the first few episodes a chance to kind of, you know, get to know us from the beginning. They get to see the glow up. Have we glown up? Oh, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I told my husband I'm more of a dim down myself. (laughs) So, yeah, you can go and enjoy some of our vintage episodes vintage vintage all right (laughs) y'all peace out out